You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the 3DM Podcast, episode number 32. I'm Jake, and we've only got two DMs today. Paul is in studio. Nacho went back to school, and his job doesn't want him to be able to podcast on Sundays. Press F to pay respects for Nacho. Press F to pay respects for Nacho, Nacho's truck, and just really the poor boy's life is going downhill fast. Sorry, um, Nacho. We don't, we, we, don't, we don't really mean that. Uh, we love you, buddy, wherever you are. Um... Let's see. So let's just address the elephant in the room. Um, every single one of our cars has broken down in the last three weeks conveniently on Sunday or Saturday. And that has made getting out here to do the show difficult, to say the least. Yeah, a, a bit. Um, so uh, we finally got the car situation taken care of. Uh, next on the list of other things that have recently gone wrong in life, I am currently hungover as all get out because my beloved Michigan Wolverines lost last night to Notre Dame, and I handled things like a responsible adult by drinking a lot of whiskey. A lot of whiskey. Um, Press up to pair specs for Jake. Yeah, no, just, I'll be fine. I'm just very hungover. Also, you may note that we don't have any video going on right now, and you're listening to this via SoundCloud. Yes, we will. We do have a video recording of it right now, so technically you will be able to see how miserable I look, uh, if you can't already tell from my voice, but <laughs> that'll come later. So we are having some technical difficulties. First things first. Uh, let's just get our announcement out of the way. Uh, we are going to officially start doing the show as of right now. We're going to start doing it biweekly instead of weekly. Um, what that means for us is, uh, so we're going to aim for the first week and the third week of every month. That is the goal. Um, and we're mostly just doing that so we have more time to prepare shows and get better content. Because sometimes, you know, like it's a slow news week in D&D. Honestly, we're kind of in a content drought right now. You so. know, I mean, like all everything we've got is like kind of the stuff that we had, you know, to build shows around. And so we've actually got a pretty packed show today. Uh, so we're just going to, you know, give ourselves a bit more time. Uh, that way I can also do stuff like get us a better working website and like finish up a lot of the neat little things that I've been trying to get done. And I just haven't because I work in construction and we're very, very busy in the summer. So on that note, do we have an ad read to do? Oh, no, we don't. Hmm. We missed the audible ad read. Uh, I know. It sucks. It's unfortunate. In the meantime, though, we can thank I, Podcast Detroit for hosting us. I had to, yeah, I had to pay for, uh, I had to pay for a bunch of studio time in September. 
because uh, we had two call-offs, and uh, yeah, no, it could have been paid for by Audible, but it didn't happen. But thanks, Podcast Detroit. We still love you. Mm-hmm. All right, best. Paul, let's hop into it, because we've got a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff to cover. All right, well, let's have at it. Um, so first of all, uh, very first thing that we were doing, um, planning on doing was, uh, bought a couple of things from the DMs guild, an excellent website. I highly recommend it. And, uh, product number one. So they released the Eberron book on the DMs guild. Uh, we talked about this some weeks ago and we bought it and we went through it. Paul, you did the heavy lifting on the reading cause you're good at reading. <laughs> yes, I did. It's. Talk us through it. uh, Hold on. Sorry. One second. Do you want me to talk about the entire book or something specific? Just, uh, you know, just cliff notes. Give us the highlight reel, a review, if you will. It's it's a source book for the Ebron setting, which if you played in third edition, you probably know at least something about. It's – I guess the best to describe is it's a sort of a play on different fantasy tropes that aren't usually done. Like you've got magic trains and airships and stuff, which is not something you see in traditional D&D. And you've got organized religious powers and honestly a fairly low power cap for the major characters in the setting. Uh, It's not like Forgotten Realms where you've got 20th level wizards all over the dang place. I'm pretty sure the most powerful beings in Ebron are either villainous or stuck. Basically, they have to do something. So – Importantly, in Abron, for what most people are looking for, we have official Warforged rules. Which are good. They are. And we've also got a lot of setting description for all of the different uh, cities, towns, nations, which is good because Ebron has historically had a fairly good uh, political setup. Yes. Um, It is widely vaunted as – or widely touted – excuse my poor use of English – for its – Excellent mix of able – like you're able to do ridiculous high fantasy shit and then suddenly you can boil it back down, bring it back to uh, you know, like political intrigue and it's a very versatile setting. It you know allows it, – it allows itself – it lends itself very well to doing many different styles of game. Yeah. All within one setting. In this edition though, um, Wizard sort of emphasizes the pulp action genre so to speak, which – Makes sense with what you've been describing. Yeah. It's – I don't know. It's less high fantasy and more, well, fantasy set in the sort of 1800s is the best way to put it. But. Uh, yeah, and a lot of the combat and like things that happen, I I, they, I love how they – you know, they're using pulp action as kind of their descriptor. It's straight up anime, dude. <laughs> like – Well, I wouldn't go that far. Like a lot of – with a lot of the fighting and stuff. You know, like the like the way things are described and stuff. It's just like I can totally see this. I I can totally see a pink haired character just doing crazy stuff on well, an you, airship. You gotta have blue hair, man. I know, it's so pretty. Um, but no, it's a great book. My only real qualms with it because I did read it too. Just Paul's better at reading and you know the that stuff. Um, my only problem with it is you can't physically get it as a book. It's only DMs Guild where there's it's, no hard copy. Yeah, there's no hard copy. It's PDF only, which is a minor pain in the ass. Um, for me personally, I prefer to you know have the books in my hand, read the books. I famously have stated that most of my D and D book reading gets done on my toilet. Well, I mean, it's not. It's I, I think it's where a lot of DMs do their uh, idea searching and reading. 
I do mine in the shower, mm. but you know. Yeah, well, I do both. Yeah, the bathroom is my creative place. The bathroom is my muse. Uh, so, overall, I think we both agreed that we recommend the book because Eberron is actually like, even though I've been sitting here kind of throwing shade, it's just because I'm angry at the world. Um, we both agree it's a fantastic setting and it's a fantastic setting book and it's an official product. So, yeah, I, I would give it good ratings across the board. If uh, uh, you know, if anything, it's you know. I, what I love about Eberron is it's very easy to pilfer from. Yeah, you can steal things from Eberron. There's a lot of very cool stuff you can just steal and add to your own game and look. Magic trains. Magic trains. Elementals being, uh, you know, bonded to stuff. Uh, unified postal service. Uh, sending. Halflings riding dinosaurs. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, just a whole bunch of really neat stuff. So it's definitely worth the, I believe, how much did I pay for it? It was 20 bucks. I think it was twenty bucks. Nineteen nineteen ninety nine. It's twenty or twenty five. Yeah, that's that's how uh, that's how much research went into that for today. Because I'm, your boy is struggling. So uh, we got that, and then what was the name of the other item that was purchased? Wasn't and it a hundred monster hunts, or was it a hundred and one? I forget. It's one hundred. I'm trying to get the exact. Um, hang on, let me. Oh, we're really me, selling this product, right aren't now, we? Aren't we? No, because it's awesome. Uh, 100 technical difficulties. <sighs> yeah, I got it. I'm going to share a link of it too, just cause it's awesome. All right. So, um, it is from Vol Serene. Um, it is called 100 monster hunts. I'm going to link this bad boy, um, to the Facebook page. I'd be hopefully not going to give them the PDF or anything. No. Deprive the author out of their hard-earned money. No, 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 no. This is just a, where they can, a link to where they can go buy it. Yeah. Um, so 100 Monster Hunts. Uh, very straightforward. This is the ultimate, uh, you know, you need to kill time. Uh, it's a bunch of plot hooks. Yeah. You need to kill time in a game session or something or, um, you know, like scatter them liberally about. Let's say, uh, you know, well, the way I find it useful is, you know, let's face facts. As a DM, it takes a lot of time to prepare good content. And then people sidestep it, of course. So. And and then they just walk past your carefully plotted bait, you know. Um, but some weeks, you're busy. Some weeks, you know, you ain't got time, and you know, but everyone still wants to do D&D night, and you want to do D&D night, too. Cause some weeks, you worked a 10-hour day just before yeah. having to run the session. So. Yep, and you just ain't got time. And this book is fantastic for that. It has 100... Um, quests ranging from level one to level 20 these are all like ye old town center cork board kind of quests yeah the job board you know ye old jobs yeah exactly are hobos of murder um and there are a bunch of very entertaining ones i mean there are you know um, just the straightforward ones where you fight go and fight a monster and it's typical environment yep you know and or there's a basilisk running about or there is a uh you Which I, I had to admit isn't terribly creative, but the the other ones make it up. There there are a lot of very funny ones. Uh, my personal favorite is uh, kids at the local orphanage are having their tooth fairy money stolen, and it's uh, <laughs> the entire adventure. the uh, The big hook is uh, it's three goblins dressing up as the tooth fairy every night, like standing on each other's shoulders and sneaking into the orphanage, and then taking the tooth fairy money after the actual tooth fairy leaves money. Which, of course, implies that the Tooth Fairy exists, but, you know. But, hey, I don't know. I'm sure you can work with that. Yeah. 
nice silver piece for your teeth. Um, I would take that. Yeah, I'd take that too. It's like 10 bucks. Um, the teeth exchange rate is high in fantasy settings. Um, well, she's got to build her castle of teeth somehow. Oh, geez, that's grim. Um, but uh, there's a bunch of really cool stuff like that. Um, a lot of, you know, fun little dinky quests that you can um, just sprinkle and add into your game. And you can even, again, you know, just look at the job board and just instead do the hooks yourself. Yeah, and even you if... Sorry, didn't mean to jump there. No, but. you're good. Um, you know, just do the, you know, just introduce the hooks yourself, you know, just without the job board is yeah. a better way to say what I was trying to say. What are you going to say, Paul? I was going to say, even if you don't much intend to use these, you can use these as flavoring for different odd jobs before you get to the actual hook that you intend for the day to sort of, uh, this is going to sound a bit weird, but it's a sort of veneer to imply that the path is not set. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, it's good side quest material for sure. Um. You know, because once once the players do get, you know, deep into a plot, that's generally all they care about. But, you know, this is definitely a good little sideway. Um, if I have one minor complaint about the book, um, and it is four ninety nine on the DMs Guild. Uh, if I have one minor complaint about the PDF itself uh, and the material inside is the quest rewards are a little extravagant. If, yeah, it seems like a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Um, when we look at like how the economy is supposed to work, which to be fair and to kind of discredit my own point that I'm making, um, the way the economy is set up and laid out in all the books is very haphazard. And um, like there's a great Reddit post that I have some that I found somewhere that I keep it bookmarked because they uh, took all the information, compiled it and then give like a breakdown of how the economy is supposed to work in 5e and what money is actually like the actual value of yeah. money. Um, now that I've said all that, these quest rewards are a uh, lot of money, a lot of money. Um, like there was one, um, it's this a doesn't take money out of your savings account and pay off the person who did an odd job for you. This is, this uh, is every penny that we should have like <laughs> that. That our entire village has ever earned. Yeah. Um, you know, some of them are reasonable. Some of them are like, good Lord, that's a lot of money. But that, it's the minor – it's like the tiniest complaint because you can just change it yourself, you know. Um, other than that, though, great buy. Um, good time saver. Again, if you, you know, been a long week, you ain't got time to plan for a game or you just want to add something funny and cool into your game, sweet. Here three you go. Three goblins under a sheet. Yep, three goblins under a sheet. Um Four ninety nine on the DMs Guild, and I highly recommend it. It's a great product. Um, it's also good. Uh, just as a quick aside, too, um, I saw an article mention this thing, and it you know it was like a good for a Witcher style game where you know they're monster hunters going around and catching monsters. It's good for that. Yeah, I've actually got a player in one of my games. He's going to be playing a discount monster hunter, so I may have to use it for that. Yeah. Um, so highly recommend that. Um, that was made by Vol Cyrene. Cyrene, I'm. I'm Hoping I'm saying it right, but yeah, it should be Valsirene or Vale. Uh, Valsirene. Yeah, now see, see now we don't even know, but whoever made it, <laughs> however we say your name, good job, good stuff. Please go buy it. So, um, next thing to cover, uh, we had Unearthed Arcana come out. New Unearthed Arcana um, for some of the races that are going to be appearing in the Ravnica source book. Which I'm looking forward to uh, personally. I mean, I'm a Magic Gathering player, so you know how it is. But 
Everyone likes Ravnica. I don't think you can find somebody in the Magic fandom who doesn't like Ravnica. There, there's always that one guy. Yeah. Um, I thought Prophecy was the best. <laughs> but aside all that, there are four new races, and while some of them are perhaps riffs on other races, two of them are pretty interesting to me personally. Break them down. Let's break them all down, Paul. Let's uh, let's go through the math and the metric. Alphabetical order. Uh, yep. Let's do it. Well, the first one then is the Loxodon, which is an elephant person. I it's an elephant are... centaur. It's not really a centaur because it's only got two legs. Centaur elephant. It's got two legs, man. Elephantarment. Regardless. The Loxodon has a bonus, a large bonus to constitution and a small one to wisdom. One thing that should be noted about these races is that there's no sub-races for any of them. You get what you pay for. That's it. You don't get any of the choices. So you get a bonus to constitution and wisdom and I believe you get the racial bonuses from dwarves that nobody cares about like stone cunning and proficiency in masonry tools. Yeah. And you also get importantly hefty natural armor like – Hefty natural armor. We're talking AC 13 plus dexterity base armor class, which is a lot. Yeah. Especially for, you know, a squishier class like the druids and clerics that the constitution wisdom bonuses would lead you towards. Yeah. Um, again, just the idea, though, of Loxodon rogue cracks me up because elephant person, big, big old elephant person. Yeah, they're, they're described, huge. Yeah, they're described as being on average like between seven and eight feet tall and uh, weighing weighing in at a handsome five to seven hundred pounds. Uh, so the idea of Loxodon rogue just makes me laugh really, really hard. It's like orc rogue. I'm going to sneak attack you with a great axe. And before someone corrects me and says, you can't sneak attack with a great I know you can't sneak attack with a great axe, but it's funny. Sneak attack with siege weaponry. <laughs> but I'm going to sneak up on you and hit you with this trebuchet. You ain't going to see this trebuchet coming, chief. Well, it's because it can fling a rock over a mile. All right. Let's. <laughs> no, no. They're not going to use the trebuchet. <laughs> He's going to hit you with the actual trebuchet. Yeesh. Rough. <laughs> Regardless, once you get past the Loxodon, you have the Simic. Mutants, and one thing that should be noted for people who aren't Magic fans is the Simic is a uh, what's the word? A consortium of mad scientists, Man. but like on the biological side, as opposed to is it's mad scientists in the engineering side. So, Simic hybrids have bonuses to Constitution and one to any other stat of their choice, which is pretty good. I mean. When I see any of your choice, that boosts up a bit in my esteem. So you could use it for practically anything. And I, I believe – I'm blanking a little bit here, but I believe they also have some sort of natural armor as well. Uh, let's see here. We've got speed, dock vision. Um, huh. Nope. No armor. Shows what I know. Yep. Well, I got the PDF open here. So Regardless. I'll, I'll step in. They do have – their thing is that they get random bits of other animals in order to benefit themselves. For example, well, they get one at first level and one at fifth level. And for example, they have the ability to gain a swimming speed or climbing speed equal to their movement speed. And they also have the ability to reduce the distance of their falls by 100 feet as far as falling damage goes. For some reason, that one, the falling one is the manta ray one and not the swimming one, which seems which weird to me. But Weird, but whatever. Hey. Um, 
yeah, so here are the options you get, which is this is uh, this is pretty nifty. Um, you get Mantaglide at level one. You can take uh, Mantaglide, which allows you to, uh, you know, not fly, but fall with style. Yeah. Um, as Buzz Lightyear would like to kindly remind you, you can do. Um, Nimble Climber gives you, you know, the ability to climb, having climbing speed equal to your walking speed, which is. Which does negate the need for climbing checks, which is pretty nice. But. Yeah. It's nifty. Um, underwater adaptation allows you to breathe underwater. Boom. Uh, let's get to the big one. Swim, but. Um, so at fifth level, you get to pick another one. Grappling appendages is uh, you get either claws or tentacles. Which and you is, can whap people with them. Yeah, which yeah they do 1d6 damage plus your strength modifier instead of the normal bludgeoning damage. And uh, <coughs> don't mind me just dying. <coughs> okay, we're back to uh, we're back to the land of living. Um. You can um, use them as an attack. Uh, use them to attack, and then immediately after grapple somebody as a bonus action um, with your <laughs> grappling appendages. So you just sort of whap them while you're holding on to them. Yeah, you know, and you just it. It actually like the idea of a hybrid fighter doing that is actually just kind of funny. Like claw hands on the underneath, grabbing people, and then just continuing to hit them with a hammer. Yeah, uh, carapace is interesting. Isn't that the armor class one? Uh, yes, your skin. Uh, uh, your skin in places is covered by a thick shell. You gain a plus one bonus to AC when you're not wearing heavy armor. Interesting. Flat bonuses to AC are pretty rare. Exactly. Other than that, not that great. Um, and the last one, the one that we talked about most. On the yeah, car. the one. Uh, the one that we actually did do a lot of discussion about in the car was acid spit, because god damn, that's strong. Um, as an action, you can spray a stream of acid from glands in your mouth, targeting one creature or object you can see within 30 feet of you. The target takes 2d10 acid damage. Yowch. Unless it succeeds on a dexterity saving throw against a DC equal to 8 plus your constitution modifier plus your proficiency bonus. This damage increases by 1d10 when you reach 11th level and 4d10 when you reach 17th level. At level 5, and uh, so there is... There's no rest on this, so you... It just happens whenever you want. It's it's like Eldritch Blast, kind of. Yeah. Um, but anyone can do it, and it's acid. And it's acid. It does take up your action, so you can't do it multiple times. So, it, like, it's not super good for a fighter. But uh, on the other hand, it's also but based it, on constitution. Yeah, it is, however, a uh, 2d10 30-foot attack. And so that's... That can't be taken away from you. Yep. That's... Uh, it's pretty good. Yeah, no. You've been handcuffed. Surprise. Acid. No one ever expects the guy to spit acid. Um, got two more to cover. Um, we got the uh, Vedalkin? You're the Vedalkin. Okay. I'm pretty Nailed sure. It. Nailed it. Um, break them down for me. You're the you're the magic lord. They're smart. Uh, well, it depends on the plane they're on, but they are dispassionate uh almost emotionless humanoids who greatly seek understanding of the universe. They're a typically blue race when it comes to the uh, colors of magic. And in this game, they are excellent wizards, unsurprisingly. Let's uh, yeah, let's go over what they get real quick. Uh, so their ability score increases. They get intelligence score increased by two and wisdom score increased by one. This is, I believe, the largest intelligence bonus we've seen on a core race so far. Yeah. Um, well, on, gnomes, on an official race, I should yeah. say. Well, gnomes get intelligence, but that's a boot. It. Um, 
Is it only plus one for gnomes? Um, I don't remember. It might be plus two. We got a player's handbook in the bag. Hmm. Break out, break well, out the bag. It. I'll keep reading. Um, alignment are most. Uh, they're usually lawful, rarely evil, neat. Uh, size, they are slightly taller than humans. They're about six to six and a half feet tall. Usually weigh about a buck eighty. Um, 30 foot walking speed. They have uh, an advantage. This is interesting. Uh, Vidalkin, Vidalkin Dispassion. You have advantage on all intelligence, wisdom, and charisma saving throws. Very strong. That is that is a Especially lot. Especially because wisdom is the one that usually gets you. Yeah, wisdom and charisma are like Whenever you have to make a wisdom or a charisma, you start check, clenching a little. Yeah, like, you get a little nervous because it's somebody's getting mind controlled or something you really don't want to happen is going to happen. Like if you fail a con saving throw, that's bad. Yeah, it's but poison. You might poison. be poisoned or dying. Or you might be turned to stone. That's that's but, the worst of it. But well, you got to fail three of those freaking things. Yeah, still. Um, also, yes, gnomes do get plus two intelligence. So okay. that's wrong. Um, but still. Two and and uh, free wisdom and advantage on intelligence, wisdom, and charisma uh, saves is beefy. It is bonkers, I believe you mean to say. That is a very strong bonus. Yes. Um, and then they get one more thing. It's called tireless precision. You are proficient in one of the following skills of your choice, arcana, history, investigation, medicine, performance, or sleight of hand. You are also proficient with one tool of your choice. Whenever you make an ability check with the chosen skill or tool, roll a d4 and add the number to the check's total. That's good. Isn't that kind of like expertise then? Yeah, it's it's like a step down from expertise. It's not quite as good as expertise. Well, it, it's kind of random expertise. With the, yeah, it's random expertise. It could be better. It could be worse. Um, or it could be exactly the same as expertise. So, yeah. Um, and those are all like pretty handy skills to have too. Um, you know, Like there's no perception on there, but that'd just be ridiculous. At that point, I'd be cl- declaring it overpowered. Yeah. Um, but – you know, Still history, you investigation, medicine, performance, sleight of hand, arcana. Stuff the, you're good at. Yeah, stuff you're going to be good at as a freaking wizard anyways because why would you not play a wizard with this race? <laughs> it's not like there are any other intelligence-based classes. Yeah, which I'd like to see a change to. And we're on to the last one. Uh, it is the – Vyashno, I believe. Vyashno, yes. Hit me with the lore, Paul. Well, uh – I actually don't know much about the Vyashna. I'll be completely honest. I know that they existed on Dominaria for some time and they lived on the Isle of Shiv. But I'm sure I'm going to get corrected on that and tell me that they're actually a backwards transplant from Ravnica or something. Oh, fair. Um, all right. Let's, I'll, I've, got the, I've got the lore right here, so I'll just break it down a little bit. Um, they are humanoid lizards covered in green scaled skin. Lizard folk. And uh, they got spines <clears throat> on them. They got spikes. They got spiky protrusions, spines, long teeth. Um, now, here's one thing I do like about them, though. Um, <clears throat> as much as I do love the hilarious lizard folk that is presented in Volos as a playable race, where they are, um, they're like smart enough to, you know, be functional members of society, but at the same time, like they still look at you like you're a steak. Um, these are portrayed as much more, um, shall we say, <clears throat> sociable. Gregarious, uh, yeah, and uh, they their big thing is they uh, you know they are very emotional and they represent themselves with fire. Yeah, with fire. Um, so it says that their sorcerers usually use fire and they use fire based spells whenever they can. And yeah, so and so they're you know they're big on fire and uh, they like to uh, 
<laughs> they like to break stuff, basically. And they're, that's, they move fast and break things. Yeah, that's kind of their shtick. Um, cool little role play bit, too. They uh, they change their names often. They just pick up a name depending on like their mood. Yeah, how they feel about it. Yeah. Which means it's hard to keep track of which Vyash knows which. Yeah. Um, and let's break them down. So ability score increases. Deck score increases by two. Strength increases by one. It's... Those usually have overlap, but you find out that most uh, melee characters want to have both at a decent level anyway. Yeah. Um, and just a free – I mean even if you choose to do other stuff. I mean dexterity is pound for pound the strongest stat in the game. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, like it's close with constitution. So – and then just having a free point of strength if even if you want to play something else – you know, like that's an extra twenty pounds you can carry. Yeah, that's an extra encumbrance rules. Yeah, um, or well, you know, it's always. Not, I've seen a lot of people dump strength, and then uh, athletic checks are a bitch. Yeah, um, that's because it, you, whenever an athletics check comes up, that's a check you have to pass. It's not like history, where if you pass it, you got to do some more reading. If you fail an athletics check, you are probably going to get hurt. Badly. Yeah, no, athletics is always a check that the fighters are like, yay, and then you just like look at the wizard, and they're like. Uh oh, <laughs> I ran out of fly spell slots. I'm in trouble. Uh oh, um, age. Uh, I do love how they point out it's like they normally don't live this long because they normally die, uh, but because uh, they live violent lives. But they uh, they can get to sixty and they're fully grown adults by the time they're like thirteen. Sounds like a perfect adventure. Yep. <laughs> uh, alignment. They are chaotic, but they don't really give a damn about good or evil. They just like to break stuff. It is uh, nice to see races finally on the law versus chaos yeah. axis rather than just the good versus evil axis. Yeah, that is – that is. I, I can definitely agree with you on that. 30-foot uh, speed. They get a bite, um, 1d4 plus strength modifier, piercing damage. I don't know. 1d4 seems kind of weak. Honestly. Yeah, I think lizard folk uh, – if you wouldn't mind breaking out Volos and checking lizard folk, I think they get 1d6. Uh, but they do get a tail that they can hit stuff with. Um, and it's same thing, 1d4 plus strength modifier and bludgeoning damage. Uh, let's see, we got Wiry Frame. You gain proficiency in acrobatics or stealth, your choice. And uh, they get common and draconic as stock languages. But that's about it. Like, other than interesting roleplay options, they don't really have anything that, you know, grabs you. Gra- uh, gets you from, you know, really changes up the game. Uh, so to speak, for uh, it being a good race, it's you know it's more you're you're definitely more looking into the role play here than you are for uh, you know the actual mechanical actual effects. mechanical effects. I mean, the double attacks thing is nice, but it's not yeah y- you know it's not really a make or break thing for me. I would not really care if I had that extra tail swipe, right. Oh, no, I'm looking up the lizard folk. Role. The lizard folk. Yeah, no, because I'm actually just curious about this, so now I'm just killing time. Lizard folk. Let's see here. Bite is 1d6 plus strength. I mean, you published this officially, wizards. Why don't they have a bite that's 1d6? Well, it is playtest material, so it'll probably get fixed. I should note that it's probably honestly best if you want to play Vashno as it currently stands that you switch their – the lore with the lizard folklore and just use lizard folk instead. Uh, yeah. Which is me saying, wizards, please buff Vashno. Uh, 
But yeah, no, other than that, though, I, I still think they're neat. I definitely... I'm still looking forward to the races of Ravnica book. Yeah, I could... So, uh, or the Ravnica book, and these are the races in that book. Yeah. They just they just need a little bit of messing. Um, overall, though, pretty cool stuff. Uh, nothing I wouldn't not allow if a player came to me uh, about wanting to play one of these in the game. I'd honestly be able to fit it in. Yeah, and, although I would take a look at the Veldalkin because... You know, I'd, that, there'd be a lot of trepidation on the Veldalkin. I, it would depend on how good the player is at D and D. Honestly, like if it's like how a, much they're going to power game. You yeah, mean? yeah. If uh, as we've used before, if it's a Jimmy, I might let it happen. If it's a Timmy, I'm definitely okay with it. If it's a Jimmy, that's fine. If Spike comes to me and wants to play a Vidalkin, I'm going to kick him in the throat. Johnny, I think you mean, but Jimmy and Johnny are similar. Anyway, yeah. So, but that brings us to our big point of the day. Segway. Um, let's talk about bringing in new races to D&D because looking at these, um, they were actually really cool options. And I was, you know, happy about it. And, you know, that made me think for, you know, first time in a very long time about um, what other non, you know, standard, non-standard fantasy, fantasy races. Yeah, yeah. non-standard fantasy races um, are there. Because I did see a post in some form. It was either on the 5e group or it was on Reddit. Um, but it was asking opinions on a player had wanted to play a uh, mind flayer who had cut their uh, connection with the elder brain and uh, was going to be a warlock who served Cthulhu, which is flavorful, I apropos. Kind of kind of spot on, at least physically appearance. Um, but... <clears throat> Uh, you know, and I kind of read some of the comments and then I got out of there when people started fighting because it always happens. But if you get a bunch of nerds together in one place, they are going to fight. Oh, about they are going to fight about something. Um, but that did make me think, oh, yeah, no, it's been a while since I've been approached to add different races and um, really play with some stuff. And so we're here to advise you on that. So rule number one on homebrew, because, uh, you know, we like to keep it with a very critical eye. Take a look at it. Yeah. If you are approached and somebody wants to play this homebrew um, or not even homebrew, uh, you know, it's something that you've just, you know, kind of written out of your setting. There's a couple of races, like, for example, that just don't exist in my setting. Uh, I think the most prominent one is Hobgoblins. And that, yeah, that just I have no really good way to get, Use the, Hobgoblins. get them in there. Like, I want to because I think they're really cool. But at the same time, like having just another warlike race. When I've already got enough problems with my warlike races, <laughs> you know, it's uh, just causes too many problems that it doesn't really give enough to the game for it to be worth it. Yeah, I did kind of take the uh, hobgoblin stuff and I combine it with my uh, dragonborn stuff. So, well, there's that. There's that. Um, but main point being, you know, if how do you fit these things in? Yeah, so, how do you fit it in? Um, Make sure it's not stepping on another race's toes is, I think, rule number one. Yeah. A good example of that for me is I use orcs very differently um, than they're written in the book. I use more of the World of Warcraft orcs and less the uh, Tolkien orcs. The Eberron orcs, if you will. Yeah. Um, you know, where the orcs are – orcs be dicks. I, you know, I've always used my orcs more in the World of Warcraft way because I think they're more compelling that way. Um, that being said – uh, you know, I when the Goliath came out, I had a player who wanted to play a Goliath, and the problem for me was is that 
my orcs were basically already doing the same thing Goliaths would do. So it became a bit of a pain in the ass to try to work Goliath into my campaign setting. Because uh, so these two entirely different groups with basically the same culture. Yeah, they do basically the same stuff because, you know, it just so shaken out that my orc culture was pretty much the same as Goliath culture. Um, so make sure it's not going to step on any toes. Make sure it's going to be able to fit comfortably in your world. Um the there are a couple of you know like cute little hacks to get around that you know um they're from a different plane um they're one of a kind they're one of a kind they're from a different uh like an alternate universe um you know wormhole and magic and you know um there's stuff like that if you just have a one-off but uh it there is a happy challenge though that can be found from a player wanting to play something that doesn't exist in your setting normally. Um, Chris, what I, I like to think of number two is don't crowbar it into your setting. If it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit. Yeah, you can, you should, you can, and should try to make it fit if you think that somebody's not doing this just a power game. But don't bend over backwards to fit everything into your setting. Yeah, there, um, there's a problem with fantasy kitchen sink settings that. People are way too eager to fall into. Yeah, where but. there has to be everything, um, which you know, I guess, I mean that's actually a good discussion topic for another day. But you know, there is <laughs> when you're going through the monster manual and you realize that a lot of these sentient races are you know all supposed to have their own territory. Like uh, you know, most people hate that they made gnolls more animalistic. I actually love it because suddenly that's like not another race that I have to account for. Uh, you know, hobgoblins are already hard to include. Uh, you know, like how many fascist dictatorships can you reasonably? <laughs> how set up? many? How many violent yet somehow successful uh, races can there be? Um, Surely they got to crowd each other out at some point. Yeah, no, you'd think they would have all murdered each other. Like, there would have been at least a genocide. Or, you know, the owl bears got them. Oh, well, yeah, the owl bears get everybody. It's an owl bear conspiracy. Um, uh, next, so, yeah. step in, <laughs> next step in allowing races uh, is... Try not to crush somebody's dreams. Yeah, you know, if, if it's not going to work, just you got to have that conversation with the player. It's just... It's a very straightforward conversation. It's just like it's not going to work in my setting. I'm sorry. Um, But instead, you could try to do X, Y, or Z. Or you could sit them down and ask them what it is about that they like and see if you can fit those elements into a subculture of another race or something. Exactly. There is no reason – you know, say um, – a good example of that is something I actually – I've always wanted to include in my game. But I haven't really found a decent way to do it was – one of my favorite uh, like fantasy races that's not a typical race is uh, the Ronso from Final Fantasy X because I played a lot of Final Fantasy X when I was a young boy. And the Ronso were always cool to me because they're, you know, giant cat people and they're, you know, they got horns on their head and they're freakishly muscular. And, they, you know, they just jack stuff up with, you know, pole arms and shit. You know, it neat. Um but there was no real way for me to include them in my setting because it didn't make sense. I mean, you know, I could do the same thing that they did in Final Fantasy, which is they sit on a holy mountain and they protect the mountain, um, you know, and they all go out on pilgrimage to, you know, go out, learn about the world. Then they come back home to protect the mountain forever, forever. But holy gagazette. But, um, you know, I didn't really want to. It felt like it was going to be too forced. Like I, I let a couple of players play some Ronso because I was like, "Yeah, no, we're going to do it." And then it, like, it never, never really baked out. It didn't really work. Um, 
until Volos came out with the tabaxi. And like I had to work on getting the tabaxi in, and um, luckily for me, they just they wrote a very thing that was like mysterious Cat Island. I'm like, sweet Cat Island, we're gonna done. Do, yep, I'm literally just gonna use the plot from uh, Scooby Doo. Uh, what is it, Scooby Doo? Uh, Zombie Island? Because yeah, no, because that's the big plot reveal at the end is that they're cat people, <laughs> and they lure people to their island in the bayou. Yeah, no, it's, you'd be surprised how many of my storytelling hooks actually come from that Scooby-Doo movie. That, that movie transformed nine-year-old Jake's life. <laughs> Zombies? Really? I thought it was terrible. <laughs> you clearly did, don't know how to appreciate Art Paul. Um, <laughs> no, no, it, um, it included, I think, I, just as a complete aside from what we were talking about, I think the reason I love it so much is because it's like the first Scooby-Doo movie I've ever seen where everything's actually real. There's no asshole in a mask doing a real estate scheme. Robots. Yeah. Um, you know, it's no, it's like there's actually zombies. There's actually cat people. You mean we've been chasing down real estate developers when we could have been hunting Dracula? Dracula? <laughs> I told you Supernatural is good in small doses. Um, but back to what we're actually talking about, and this is including races. Um, with the tabaxi, I suddenly was able to get the Ronso in because, A, they could be a subclass of tabaxi, you know, the bigger, more muscular tabaxi. and The mean ones. Yeah, the mean the ones. And, cats. you know, won't give them, you know, more of a, a warrior nature. Yeah. You know, change some stats around and suddenly. Give them a holy mountain to protect. Yeah, give them a mountain to protect. Um, and, you know, suddenly I can. Now it works. Now yeah. it makes sense. There is actually a precedent, you know, for there being fucking cat people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, other than that, though, uh, when it comes to just adding stuff like that, like if you have something that you love from fantasy or elsewhere and you want to put it in, then. You know, just again, make sure it makes sense for your setting. Make sure it doesn't feel schlepped in because if, if it's you should be able to tell, you know, you'll you'll have a sense for this thing if like it fits or if it's like one of these things is not like the other. Like, you know, just for example, you know, OK, uh, what races can I play? Well, there's human, there's half elf, there's Krogan, there's uh, orc. The Krogan? Yeah, no, I love Mass Effect, so I just threw the Krogan in there. Despite this being a fantasy game. No, but I mean, one of these things is not like the other. Uh, one of these things doesn't belong, is what you're saying? Yeah, one of these things uh, needs a little adjustment. I mean, Krogan would be sweet in D&D. I think we call those ogres. Yeah, I think we do. Um, <clears throat> you know, just, you can, now you can take the Krogan and you can, you know, alter them, muddy them down a bit, get them so they're game appropriate, but... As long as it doesn't glare and stick out, there's, as long as there's no sharp, pointy ends, so to speak. And, of course, make sure not to everything. flood your setting with this stuff, as I said before. Yeah. You know, one or two, like, little changes for flavor is good. I honestly encourage it. Like, you know. Once you have 30 races, though, you need to step back and look <clears throat> yeah. at what you're doing. You got to you gotta stand back. and Especially if your party looks like something out of the circus. <laughs> We got a Warforged, we got a Krogan, we've got a Ronso, and uh, we've got a Veldkin. <clears throat> oh, we got one one normal dude. And one one guy who's playing Variant Human because it's still better than everything else. <laughs> <laughs> that's the spike right there. Yeah, that's the spike right there. Everyone else is playing all these ridiculous characters and, well, I get a free feed and two free skills. Sold. Sold. Bought. Regardless. Oh. 
Well, Paul, we got a we got about four more minutes to kill on this topic too. And then we're done with the show. Well, in that case, do I have something for you? Recently, I purchased something from the DMs Guild myself. Oh, I believe it's called How to Cook. Go on. The idea is, and hold on, just don't interrupt me until I finish here. All right, I'm with you. The idea is that you could use the ingredients you could gain from killing certain, hopefully non-sentient monsters in order to make excellent dishes. And there's a bunch of rules. I mean, it's only about a six-page book. Yeah. I bought it for about a dollar. But there's a bunch of rules as to how to make an excellent dish and get the party involved and the skill checks required to make a feast and the benefits from doing so. Okay. All right, I'm with you. It also comes with the feet, which allows you to, you know, the leader's inspiring speech thing? Yeah. Yeah, it lets you do that but with food. Uh-huh. And also, I believe, gives resistance against poison. Now, the most important question I have is what do you make with owlbear? Owlbear steaks. Look, if you can't think of anything else, just always make steaks. I mean, true. But I don't know, though. Like, Realistically, fried owlbear over rice. Is owlbear, but is owlbear red meat or white hmm. meat? Depends which half of the bear. <laughs> is, it, is, it a, is it like chicken? Is it going to be, you know, like any bird you kill? Look, a hungry adventurer can eat anything. I just need to know because, like, you, you got to follow certain protocols for certain types of food. You know, if it's a, if it's like if it's a red steak, then, yeah, you can cook that bitch medium rare. But if it's you let's know, if go it's, with red because there seems to be more bear in it than owl. If, if it's poultry, though, Paul, you can't cook. You can't eat it unless it's been cooked over 165 degrees. You'll get the salmonella. Does fantasy salmonella exist in your setting? <laughs> it does, because I cooked for eight years, Paul. There's just some <laughs> things you can't leave behind. There are some things that you can't let go. Fine. Of. Charbroiled. <laughs> <laughs> That'll kill the salmonella real good. Yeah. I'm just going to get deep down in there and kill all that salmonella. But do, no, I do recommend it. Yeah. No. Um, I'll, I'll make sure I link that too because that actually sounds like fun. I might buy it myself. Um, well, gang, that's our show for this week. Um, we're figuring out what we're going to do for the next show now that we kind of got our ride situation sorted and um, everybody's back in school and we're getting all that stuff taken care of. So we'll be back in... Two weeks. Two weeks sounds good to me. So yep. uh, not, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after that. Yep. Nailed it, Chief. All right, guys. Well, I'm Jake. I'm Paul. And uh, this has been another half-assed episode of the 2DMs podcast. The 2DMs podcast because everything just keeps going nutty on us. We love you. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.